You're listening to Real Birth Stories, the podcast where we hear unique and fascinating birth stories straight from the mother's mouth. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram or Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. She was there and she came out and she was beautiful, healthy. And then my placenta splattered on the floor. I went to bed and I was feeling a bit sick and then I started having some contractions. Because how you're meant to feel and how, what you're meant to do and all those other things, there's such a prevailing narrative out there. And I think it's very difficult to not subscribe to that. <laughs> I'd learned that like you can moo and I was like, moo, moo. It was a whole scene and none of the roads had been plowed because it was the middle of the like 4 5 a.m. at this point. But for me, it went pop. It was like wetting myself. It was like I sat there and then it came out of completely out of nowhere. It's like a balloon burst inside me. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your pregnancy. So do you want to start by telling us when you found out you were pregnant? Oh God, this feels like such a long time ago because we had that whole COVID thing. So I don't even know what year it is currently, but I believe. Yeah. It would have been 2019. I found out I was pregnant, went to a rave, had the best time ever. And then unfortunately, I had a miscarriage. That would have been December 2019. But then I fell pregnant again with Ruby two months after that. So that was February time. I remember I was actually on the phone to my mum when I looked at the pregnancy test results and was like, hi, mum, I'm pregnant. So she knew before Rob did. Did she? Luxury. Yeah. I was saying before, I was like, I think I might be pregnant, Rob. And he was like, no, no. I think we sort of didn't want to get too excited to believe it after the bad miscarriage situation we had previously. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, you did that with me because you were on the phone to me when I found out I was pregnant. So it must be a thing that you do. Oh, yeah. You was on the phone when you go to the toilet? Am I on the phone to you when I go to the toilet? Quite often. Are you normally on the phone when you go to the toilet? now. (laughs) (laughs) Multitasking, multitasking. Or that's what you've got to do when you're a mum. There you go. I'm writing notes. (laughs) I'm taking notes. You never get to the toilet on your own ever again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no privacy. Okay, so you found out you're pregnant in... 2021. 2021? 2020. I can't do maths. No. It's the whole like losing years thing, isn't it? So yeah. It's the losing years thing. COVID. Yeah. Okay. And then how was your pregnancy in general? It was great. I love being pregnant. I mean, I did have the added layer of anxiety because of what happened previously. I remember I went to my 12-week scan and I was sitting in the waiting room. You know, hospitals are like the hottest places ever. Mm. Mm. I was sitting in the waiting room and my face was so red because I was just like so anxious and so nervous. I was just mega flushed and the added hospital heat made it even worse. I think I was actually texting you at the time, Lucy. How are you? Yeah, telling you, because you've got to go and have a full bladder when you have your abdominal scan. They were running behind, classic, and I was so desperate for the toilet. I had to go a little bit out and then come back. Do you not remember messaging you at the time? I do. I remember coaching you through not doing a wee. Yeah. <laughs> I literally had to go and, like, release a bit of wee, come back, sit for 10 minutes, release a bit of wee, come back. And then when I went in, he did the scan and was like, your blood is very full. I was like, yeah, it's meant to be, isn't it? So you can see the baby better. 
but yeah, generally the pregnancy was really good. I had not really many issues, luckily. I had a bit of like pelvic girdle pain and like a bit of a numb bum when I was sleeping. You meant to sleep on your left hand side. And I would get like these pains sort of down my buttocks and my thigh and then like a really weird numb thigh. That was an ailment. Oh, I had the teeth bleeding thing as well. That's a classic. When you clean your teeth, your gums can bleed something. What? I know. So I had Yeah. Can I ask what's pelvic girdle pain before we get onto the bleeding teeth situation? So I believe it's just the general term for sort of pain within the pelvic region. Okay. My midwife told me that it was pelvic girdle, but it was mainly sort of down the one side. She gave me a load of exercises that, of course, I didn't do. Yeah, it can be anywhere in the pelvis and it's inflammation. And they don't really know why, but it's inflammation of the pelvis, essentially, and it's inflammation of the joints. So it can be in any particular part of the pelvis. I didn't have it, but I understand it's really horrible. I know someone who was on crutches with it, which is really unlucky. I think I was quite lucky, really. It was mainly just sort of at night time. But pregnancy does weird stuff to your body, man. The other thing, I was convinced that I had a really smelly downstairs area. (laughs) (laughs) And I went to the midwife, who is actually, funny enough, a friend of mine now. I remember sitting at this midwife appointment and being like, my fanny stinks. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably just your sense of smell, but do you want me to send you for a vaginal bacteriosis or whatever it is test? I was like, no. No, I'm okay, thank you. Anyway, it turns out it was just my sense of smell because I went home and I said to Rob, my husband, I was like, does my funny smell? He was like, no, no, you're fine. So that was weird. But yeah, generally on the whole, really good pregnancy. I loved it. I couldn't wait to show off my bump. I was wearing all these tiny little tight skirts. You get to this point in your pregnancy where you're like, okay, I can stop breathing in now. And you let it all hang out and you're like, yeah, I've got a baby. And you're walking around. Nice. and shot windows. I mean, yeah, for me anyway, I really enjoyed it. But it does do weird stuff to you, doesn't it? Do you know what the weirdest thing that happened to me is my feet grew? Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Do they grow back? And they don't go back. No, they don't go back. Did you have to buy a whole Yeah, and I bought new shoes because it's COVID and we weren't going out and spending any money at the beginning of COVID. I went and bought loads of shoes. I was happy. And then I got pregnant and my feet grew. Livid. Livid. Yeah. Hoping they go back, but no such luck yet. So... So did you do any prep to get yourself ready for labour? Yeah, I did the positive birth, hypnobirthing video series thing, mm-hmm. which was all right. It was okay. My colleague from work is quite an eccentric hippie type character. He's awesome. One day this book arrived in the post and it was like a hypnobirthing book there's a bit of this kind of sliding scale of it. It was more on the really natural, like hippie side of things. And I was like, who sent me this book? And I had to like really think about what conversations I'd had with people and worked out with my colleague Andre, he sent it to me. And when his girlfriend had their baby, he sent around the birthing story to everybody in the office. Like they'd be interested to hear about how she was Aww. like, how was make energy on the toilet? So I eventually worked out that. That's brilliant. So I read a bit of that. I did the hypnobirthing video series and just generally tried to like learn as much as I possibly could to prepare myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Did my pelvic floor exercises because that's very, very important. 
And I also did a bit of perennial massage. You know what that is? I'm sure Lucy can um, go a little bit. I don't know. It's a massage if you're downstairs and uh, you use a special oil and you have to put your fingers inside and outside and massage. And it's meant to make the skin more supple. Did you do it? Yeah, it's meant to stop tearing. Yeah, but I was a bit of a wimp with it. Like I would just kind of like get some of the oil and go down there and kind of go like, ooh, a little bit, a little bit. And then not do it for a few days. You were the one that spurred me on actually to do it, but I didn't do much. But I ended up with an episiotomy anyway, so they took the knife to me. You did a light salad dressing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, there's things that stop tearing as well, like being in the birth pool can really help stop them tearing. Um, you know, there's a part of the physiological process of birth is when the baby's about to come out, there's a massive, massive rush of oxytocin, which makes their perennial muscles like flange open, which means the head can be born without tearing. So if we have lots of oxytocin, then it really helps. So perennial muscles definitely, definitely help. I think so. Mm. But there's other things as well i swear yeah. by the perennial massage i tell all of my pregnant friends when you get to 36 weeks start your perennial massage because i didn't have any tearing of that it is a very strange thing and if you google videos you don't really get any video videos mm-hmm. that was all part of the prep i think that was it really just talk to lots of people just talk to a load of friends who had babies and it becomes the thing that you occupies your mind totally and it's all you talk about and you have to kind of check yourself a bit that you're not going on about it too much you know yeah bore people (laughs) (laughs) oh no No. I love that piece though about like just asking friends and family and the women around you and Mm. yeah did you feel like you were ready then and that you knew everything that you needed to know yeah the hypnobirthing course really helped with that and also having a mother-in-law who used to be a midwife about 30 years ago, but she was a good one to sort of just chat to and talk. And she sort of just said to me, nothing goes to plan. So, you know, just go with it. It's wise words. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But she's of the very sort of old school midwifery parenting sort of vibe. But yeah, just, you know, chatting to people was really helpful and just knowing every eventuality and what could happen and what all the jargon means, you know, what is an epidural and what is an oxytocin drip and what do all the drugs do? You know, I think it was really important for me to brush up on that kind of knowledge to feel informed. Cool. And also, like, feeding is a big part of birth. So did you know in advance how you wanted to feed Ruby? Yeah, I was adamant. I had it in my head. I wanted to exclusively breastfeed her. I was actually really worried. I remember saying to my mum, like, I'm really worried I'm not going to be able to breastfeed. I've heard it's really hard. Everybody says it's the hardest thing ever. And I'm just really worried it's not going to happen and I'm going to struggle. And she was like, you'll be fine, you know, it'll be fine type thing. And as it happened... Did she breastfeed you? She did, yeah. She breastfed me until I think maybe nine months she said she would have carried on but unfortunately she got like a really bad infection and had to be in quarantine in hospital so couldn't feed me oh that's a shame but still nine months is pretty good oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah I just had this real thing in my head that I was like right I really want to breastfeed her and kind of probably put a bit of pressure on myself to do that yeah but I mean still we hear about breastfeeding when we have not fed a baby is that it's too difficult and you won't be able to do it so if you do want to do it you're already standing at kind of like the foot of a mountain mm. so it's quite a daunting thing but when you've you know pre-baby if you know all the benefits of it and you really want to do it 
to know that you've got this mountain to climb but actually now you've done it you know you could probably vouch for the fact it's actually quite simple isn't it yeah but in the same breath as well you know there is a lot of pressure on women to do it and some women don't want to or some women can't and a lot of the time uh, I've heard stories of people being met with real negativity from midwives in hospital okay so on to labour can you tell us when it all started and what signs did you get that you were going into labour how did you know Oh, okay. Uh, good question. The first thing that happened to me was my waters went. I got up to go to the toilet about 3am. I think I was just before 41 weeks, so I was past my due date. And yeah, it was 3am, I got up to go for a wee and I felt this pop and I was like, and like a little bit of a gush, not like how it is in the movies, because yeah. that's a load of rubbish. Um, but I felt this pop and a bit of a gush and I thought, Hmm, I think my waters have gone and I went back and got into bed and I could feel like kind of period pain style cramps but I'm just trying like sleep and because I was like laying in bed resting I was getting these cramps coming obviously I couldn't sleep so I had to get up and go downstairs for a bit and then I think I kind of made it to 7am before I went and woke up Rob and said hi Rob I'm sorry to wake you but I think my waters have gone we should probably go to the hospital um, I rung triage at this point and said, hello, triage. I think my waters have gone. What do you want to do with me? Do you want me to come in or should I stay at home? And when your waters break, you've got like 20, you're at more increased risk of infection. So ideally they oh. give you sort of 24 hours before they have to intervene for like infection safety reasons. So we went into hospital as triage and I was saw, I was seen by this nice midwife who had like a student with her and she sort of like felt around and whatnot and made me put this pad on and march around the room for half an hour so they could see if my woods had gone Mm. which they had but it wasn't like tons and tons it was just a little dribble if you like she said to me were they checking for meconium with the pads were they checking you know meconium first poo yeah no they weren't checking for that they were just checking to see if there was any amniotic fluid okay on the pads which there was I was sort of like walking around jumping up and down to like you know <laughs> get a real fair representation of what was going on and she came back and said yep yeah, I suspect your water's broken you're at increased risk of infection we can book you in now induce you or you can go home and see if labour starts naturally obviously I just wanted to go home and give my body a chance to go into natural labour that was one of the things that was sort of in the hypnobirthing that refocuses really on like anti-intervention and like it's your birth and you do what you want to do and you know discuss all of the risks and all the options with the healthcare professionals. Why was induction offered then and there? Well it depends what you want to do because obviously you know you're at this increased risk of infection by that point if your waters have gone and you know your baby's coming some people just like right come on then let's get it done and want to go in and have that induction Mm. some people want to go and get it see if they can start it and naturally I guess it's very dependent on what you want to do yeah it's just induction leads to intervention generally um it leads to a cascade of intervention because it's artificial so it speeds it all up so it's like basically labor is more painful because you don't have all the hormones you need to support you physically um so it's just surprising because it would be better I would think for 
the hospital in terms of numbers of people they've got in to let women go and try and do it naturally yeah. because that's potentially going to mean less intervention which means less work for them but I guess it's a precaution the other thing it's a lot of like going back and forth and I'd just like to add as well because we were in the middle of a lockdown I was just by myself in this room so Rob was sitting in the car park with a peanut butter and jam sandwich like messaging me on what <laughs> just being like what's going on what's happening I said right come on we're going home what she said to me right go home she was really lovely actually she said go home see how you go over the next 24 mm-hmm. hours if nothing's happened then come back and see us tomorrow morning 8am mm-hmm. so we went home Rob and I were in the middle of an Arnold Schwarzenegger thon and watching Prime obviously obviously <laughs> all of the Arnie movies and by some crazy um ironic twist of fate we happen to be on junior which is the film where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant and has a baby nice mm. so I went home and I was like on my birthday ball bouncing up and down watching junior just trying to do everything to get oxytocin and get flowing you know getting on the raspberry leaf tea trying to be jolly and nothing was really happening until I went to bed and it was only when I was laying down relaxing that I would get mm. more sort of contractiony type pain but it was nothing really to write home about obviously needless to say that night I didn't really sleep either got to 8am the next day nothing had really happened went into triage again saw the same midwife I'd seen the day before which was really lucky mm-hmm. she was like oh it's you again I was like yeah hi me she did an internal examination and gave me a sweep at that point and said right you're two centimeters dilated I think we probably need to book you in for induction now because your increased risk of infection call your partner tell him to bring your hospital bag in and go and say goodbye to him in the car park because yeah we're gonna admit you basically how did that make you feel I was kind of just rolling with it because I didn't really have an option and obviously having the induction at that point was the best thing to do I was very uh, I wasn't feel scared or anything like that I was a bit gutted that you know I had to go off to this labour ward by myself and Rob couldn't be a part of it because throughout the whole pregnancy he couldn't come in for any scans or anything so he felt really sort of detached from it all so that bit was really tough but I was trying to be Mm. you know cool about it and just go with the flow and just roll with the punches so they checked me in at this point and took me off to like I call it a labour ward but it wasn't a labour ward because there wasn't people in labour there it was just a general sort of hospital world there was one woman who was like screaming like she was in the most pain ever and I've never been to hospital before so this was like an absolute shock to the system there was one mm. woman who was screaming ahead of because she had a urine infection and I think it was like went to her kidneys and she was just having a terrible time but I was just oh in god. the chair like oh my god there's a screaming woman I've never been to hospital this is horrendous I'm by myself mm. there was another mm. woman next to me who her baby was breached and she went in for them to try and turn it. There was another woman who was sort of showing signs of being in early labour. So it was a real mixed bag. And I went in there and they did this COVID test and said, right, here we go. We're going to try with the pessary induction, which you have up to six hours for it to kind of start working. So they came along, gave me this pessary induction. Pop the curtains, pop your pants down, off you go, pop the pessary in. At about 2pm, I think it was. And then just left me to it. And I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to get the oxytocin going? And how am I going to do labour on this ward in this horrible 
room where the curtains are like toilet paper and I'm looking out over grey Birmingham disgusting hospital it wasn't the best environment for me to be in again I think I was messaging you at you and Vicky at the time Lucy just being like this is what's happening sent a picture of me with my monitor on my bump yeah and just thought, right here we go then next six hours this is going to be hell and then by a stroke of luck about an hour or two later the midwife came in and said I'm really sorry but you're the only person in this ward I think there was about four or five other women with me in the same room she said I'm really sorry your COVID test hasn't come back everybody else has come back negative you're the only one that hasn't come back so we're going to put you in a private room and I was like yes it was like a twist of fate that that needed to happen so they will be off done corridors in my own private room I was like this is great and then I was basically just left alone which is perfect isn't it it's perfect but it was also I don't know I could have liked people checking I mean people did come and check in on me but I thought right I'm in my own room this is great I've got a private toilet I'm going to do stuff to get my oxytocin flowing and to try and get these contractions coming along so I did what I love to do best and I know it makes you feel good and I put my birthing playlist on and sung my heart out to Erica Badu nice like really soulful sitting on the birthing ball eyes closed just like Oh, baby, like really going for it like a cringer. And this midwife like <laughs> knocked on the door, came in and said, Excuse me, excuse me, Bab. I said, Yeah. She said, Are you singing? <laughs> I was like, Yeah. She said, It's beautiful. Yeah. Carry on. Oh, so obviously, I was just really going for it, like eyes closed, fully in the mood, just like ah, going for it. And the contractions were coming thick and fast. It was working. I was like gyrating around on the ball. Every now and then the midwife would come in and like say, right, get in your hands and knees and like have a little wiggle around. And yeah, the contractions were coming. I thought this is great. I had a little app that I was monitoring the contractions on and it was getting quite painful. And I called the midwife in to get her to put the TENS machine on me. This bit, I kind of like forget that I even had the TENS machine. But I was just like, can you just put it off me? Can I ask what that is? Did you bring that with you? Yeah, so it's like a machine that administers like electric pulses to try and oh, I've kind of forgotten now, but I think it sort of helps with the pain. So I had it on my lower back from what I remember. Part of me thinks it's probably a bit of distraction. Lucy, do you know more about what the tent machine does? Yeah, it's distraction from the pain. So essentially when you experience pain, the signals go to your brain and that's how you feel it. And in labour your endorphins get the basically a pain blockers they get to the brain first and block the pain and a tens machine is essentially a distraction to go like don't look over here look over here oh. that's what it does so it says to your brain think about this one not this but essentially that's what a tens machine does it just distracts your brain and says look over here it's a decoy i think it works for me mm. they're brilliant machines so did you bring that with you or did they give that to you i rented it and bought it with me packed it in my hospital bag oh great they send it to you in the post and they say, right, before you obviously go into labour, give it a little try by putting it on your arm. And I remember like putting it on rather than being like pushing the button and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was fun. So have a tennis machine on. And then I was looking at my app and it was saying that I was in active labour. And it was kind of around yeah. the six hour point. But by this point, you know what hospital food is like. They'd given me hospital food. I had sicked it all up from the oh, pain or from the uncomfortableness of 
the contraction <laughs> from the intense. It was just really, yeah. You can say pain, it's fine. Intense. You can say pain. <laughs> <laughs> really intense, yeah. Feeling. I didn't get any labour pains in my back, actually. For me, it was all in my, like, uterus, in my, like, abdomen. And you can mm. feel it. it. They call them in hypnobirthing surges, and you can feel the surges. It starts with a little bit of pain, and then it sort of, like, goes to a crescendo and peaks and then comes back down again. That's what it felt like for me, anyway. I guess everyone's different. But yeah, by this point, I had sicked up all of my disgusting hospital food they gave me. And I guess I was kind of in the zone. I was really using a lot of the breathing techniques that I'd learned in the hypnobirthing to kind of get through the contractions. So mm-hmm. anyway, this midwife comes in to monitor the baby and see what was going on. And by this point, I was so in the, in the zone of like all the singing and everything, I completely forgot to keep an eye on the baby's movements which you're meant to do during pregnancy and during labour. And I sort of didn't check in and then sort of freaked myself out a little bit. And this trainee midwife came and did the monitoring and she was just saying, like, all the wrong things. Well, she wasn't really saying anything particularly reassuring. She was just mm. like, oh. And the monitor, had, I was looking at the machine and the numbers, like, kept on going to zero and it was all kind of sketching out. And I think what had happened was the monitor had sort of slipped and messed up the reading. And that just like mm. totally spun me out and freaked me out. And which I think actually did me a bad end during the labour and sort of slowed everything down. Because when a, another midwife came in to do another internal and see where I was at, she was like, you're still two centimetres dilated. And at that point, I was just totally gutted because, you know, my app was telling me that I was in active labour and it was really painful and I could really feel it. And, you know, I was getting all the right signs and all the right feelings. And then that came in, you know, and she said to me, mm. we're going to have to put you on the oxytocin drip, which is the next stage. The first thing I had was the pessary induction. Mm. And then the next thing will be they hook you up to a drip and give you oxytocin to try and get things moving. But she said, it won't be until tomorrow. By this point, it was probably about 10 p.m., maybe 9 p.m. She said, because there's a big waiting list, but because your waters went, you will sort of jump to the front of the queue, but it's looking like tomorrow. So phone your husband, let him know what's going on. So at this point, I rang Rob and I said, look, Rob, I'm still two centimetres dilated. I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm going to have to have the drip. So go to bed. I'll keep you posted. Hopefully it'll be tomorrow. So Rob had been at home just pacing around the house frantically, like hoovering everything and just trying to keep himself distracted. So he was getting himself ready for bed at this point. I said to the midwife, cool, all right, fine, if that's where it's got to be, fine, you know, I'm happy to roll with it. But can you give me something for the pain? Because I'd had previous to that, I had some paracetamol or cocodamol. Is that the one they give you? Cocodamol, yeah, so that's a strong painkiller. Yeah, and that had done nothing. So she said to me, the strongest thing I've got on this ward is pethidine, which is an opioid I discussed all of the benefits and risks and everything else of that. And the only negative thing really that I could see was that it could potentially transfer to the baby, which would mean that I couldn't have had the water birth that I was hoping for because it would make the baby a little bit sort of drowsy and it's not particularly safe to have them born in the water if they're in a state of drowsiness. So she gave me the shot of pethidine, which was an injection in my thigh, mixed that bit with anti-sickness. Came with the pethidine and then I just chilled in the bed. And then maybe about half an hour, 40 minutes later, 
I was feeling like a bit of pressure. So I rang on the buzzer and I just said to the midwife, I said, can you just have another look and see what's going on? Because I can feel like a bit of pressure. So she had another look and said, bloody hell, you're seven centimetres dilated. <laughs> that is really good. What? Wow. Call your husband. We're taking her to the nursing centre now. Yeah. So wait, were you actually two centimetres dilated before? Yeah. It was the same midwife I to check. You was? And how long was that period of time between two and seven? Well, it's about half an hour, 40 minutes. But because I had the pethid in, that had obviously relaxed me enough because you need to be really relaxed for things to happen. Did you feel that when you were trying to get your oxytocin going and before they said you were only two centimetres, were you thinking about it a lot to try and get yourself into the right relaxed frame of mind? What, thinking about the dilation or thinking about being relaxed? Thinking about being relaxed and dilating and just concentrating on doing that. I wasn't really thinking about that, those specifics of dilating. I was just thinking about like feeling good and like getting in the zone and getting vibey and just trying to mm. make myself feel good. Ruby's a way to I say that because there's a thing about when you're not using your brain. So when essentially when they said you're two centimetres dilated and you kind of resigned yourself to it being tomorrow, the next day, you might have just gone, okay, and just kind of switched off. There's a thing about not using your brain and that helping you to dilate because essentially you're in a deeper state of relaxation without even really knowing it. And that is what dilates you because that your oxytocin does actually kick in then versus if you're using your brain and thinking too much, then that's where it halts your oxytocin and stalls labour essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think it was more freaking out about like not feeling the baby and that just completely shut everything down. She said to me, wow, you've done well. Most women take hours and hours and hours to do that. But whatever this pethidine opioid did, it made me absolutely off my head. So I was messaging Rob being like, oh, I feel really high. He's like saved our chain of communication from that Labor Day, which is quite a funny read one day. <laughs> yeah, she was like, right, seven centimetres, you're seven centimetres dilated. Let's get you to the birthing suite quick. Uh, call your husband to come in. So I rang Rob. And I said, Rob, I'm seven centimetres. I'm being taken to the birth centre, comms hospital now. And he was like, okay, 15 minutes to just do stuff around the house and then 15 minutes to get there. We live a 10-minute drive from the hospital. And I was like, oh, okay, hung up. And then literally two minutes later, I sent him a voice now, just being like, hurry the F up. Yes. Um, <laughs> which he's saved me multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd like to hear that can I include that in the overview of the podcast <laughs> he um, said he shot every single red light from our house to the hospital good man oh Rob and I dumped his car in the car park had already sort of like sussed out prior to this that you know when it's like hospital parking you've got to pay loads of money but if you you stay there and you get a ticket you've only got to pay like a tenner or something and it would have cost more in the parking money than it did in the fine He'd already like chirped up the, the parking warden in the car park previous to this. So he just dumped his car, nice. came in. By the time he arrived in the birthing suite, he arrived in a white T-shirt. I was like, why are you wearing a white T-shirt? It's probably a bit messy. <laughs> and when he arrived, I was like leaning over the birthing pool naked, mooing into the gas and air like, no! <laughs> 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 they had learned. I'd learned that, like, you can moo, and I was like, moo, moo. Anyway, I was literally animalistically, like, moo, into this gas and air, like, completely off my head. 
thought I'd knocked my teeth out because I was biting so hard from like the gas and air mouthpiece and I was off my head on bloody opioids. Yeah, it was all fun. Wow. So what walks walks into that? (laughs) (laughs) I know, it must have been really scary for him. Last time he dropped me off, he was eating a peanut butter and jam sandwich in the car park. Next time he saw me, I was mirroring into the gas and air naked. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. Quite the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that happened. And then all of the like dilation, tons and tons of gas and air. They kept really, I had a really, really lovely midwife who kept them sort of keeping an eye on monitoring really, was really, really sweet. Tested my urine, which I had ketones in my urine, and they were like, oh, this is bad news. So it was like, mission, get me hydrated and get some electrolytes in me so Robert bought a load of cycling gels and some leukosade sports so he was just like militantly giving it to me but I felt so sick from like all of the pain and all of the adrenaline and everything that I didn't have any food in me whatsoever I hadn't slept for the previous two nights I was absolutely exhausted this was in the middle of the night now um this was like you know midnight 1am 2am 3am just absolutely exhausted Rob was really upset and annoyed that like he couldn't have been there to make sure that I was being looked after and looked after myself because I didn't have any food in me I'd sicked up all the hospital food the only thing I had was like apple juice and by the time it got to crunch time I was just I had nothing in me I was just shattered yeah and your body needs reserves so it needs energy yeah because it's got a big job to do yeah exactly so it used up all its energy no exactly so anyway Rob put my birthing playlist on and I was in this lovely birthing suite couldn't go in the bath though because in the pool rather because I had obviously had the pepid in so that wasn't really an option then I would have quite liked to have done that but that didn't get to happen unfortunately so got fully dilated 10 centimeters and I remember the midwife saying to me and I kept on saying like can I push yet can I push yet and she's like not yet not yet you're not quite there yet got fully dilated 10 centimeters and I think I remember, like, the, they call it the transition phase, which is, is that between you getting fully dilated to pushing? Is that when that happens, Lucy? Yeah. Yeah, and that's when most women ask for an epidural, and I definitely asked for an epidural at this point. And she was like, yeah. I don't need one, too late. And Robert, like, I made Rob watch a few hypnobirthing videos, and he knew that, like, it wasn't really what I wanted and that I would probably say it and not really know what I was on about. Do you know what? I'm so pleased that you said that because lots of people don't know what transition is and then birth partners don't know what it is. And when you've got a woman who's saying, screw this, I'm going home or get me downstairs for a C-section or get me an epidural or I'm never having sex again, start threatening all sorts of things. They most likely don't mean it. They're just doing it because they feel a little bit pissed off because that's what transition does to you. It's basically a shot of adrenaline that makes you really alert, which makes that's why you go through that phase. Then most people listen and that's how further intervention happens. That's why some women end up having a C-section because essentially they're not coached to push and that because you're about to meet your baby, aren't you? That's what transition is. It's the phase between you just about to start pushing and meeting your baby. So that's really good that he knew that. Yeah, I had all of that, and but the midwife was just like, nah, not happening. And yeah, Rob knew that it's not what I wanted, so he just kind of sort of, I think he just brushed it over. I can't really remember, but I remember at that point the midwife said to me, right, you're not going to need gas and air now. And I was thinking, what? I've got to push your baby out, and I'm not going to need gas and air. 
And it's like this mad feeling that like your body just takes over and you feel, they call it bearing down. And you do just feel this urge to push. But what happens is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lucy, because you're getting to the point where you need to push your baby out, your body wants to reserve its energy. So the contractions, for me anyway, weren't painful at this point. And it was like a rest period. So you get like these long periods of rest where you're meant to sort of relax and get ready to prepare for the next contraction for when you then have to try and push. So I wasn't in any pain at this point, but between these contractions, I was so exhausted that I was practically like falling asleep. I was just like slumped on a beanbag, couldn't move, like didn't have any energy, didn't have any food in me, as I've already said. And I was just like out of it. And looking back, I definitely wasn't in the best place to be able to start pushing out a baby and as a result I was pushing and pushing for I don't know how long it must have been a few hours and I managed to get Ruby down into the birth canal I'd also like to add that I had done lots of poo-poos and I was having my bottom constantly (laughs) wiped by the midwife and by Rob and then I was doing farts and being like whoops sorry whoops sorry (laughs) oh bless you like like I was embarrassed about it and like oh. they were just really sort of stealthily wiping my bum and just not making a thing of it. Like both Rob and midwife. Yeah, they have like, you know, when you get a puppy and you have these like puppy pads, they put these yeah. like little pads underneath you like you're a bloody puppy, pup, piss training thing. Do you know why you poo in labour? Because you're pushing? No, because the baby's head is pushing against Uranus oh, tract oh. and it's pushing out all the poo. So it means your baby's baby. Did you poo, Lucy? No, because I was being coached to push before I was even in transition, which was pointless because I wasn't even fully dilated. And then I hit transition and uh, told everyone I wanted to go and have a C-section and they listened to me. So I didn't get to the pushing stage. I thought you're meant to poo in labour. I thought it was part of the process. So I remember pushing out one tiny little poo and it being on the floor. And I was like, <laughs> I did one. <laughs> but then I realised, oh, wait, that's not the bit. That's not the part that you poo out. I just did a poo on the floor. <laughs> I just wanted to prove that I could do it. That's brilliant. I did one tiny poo. but that's why you poo in labor because your baby's head is in the birth canal and so it's putting pressure on your anus and that's pushing out all the poo but it means the baby's head is so close to being born so you pooing lots is fabulous yeah although as i say i managed to get her down into the birth canal and do you know what ruby was absolutely good as gold i'm monitoring her constantly there was no issues with her heart rate there was no signs of her getting stressed nothing she was like textbook perfect you know, everything was going really well, apart from I just didn't have the energy to push her out. I was trying all sorts of positions. I was like, arms around Rob's neck, like squatting, laying on my side, holding my leg up, just doing every kind of position and all fours to try and get her out. And I just couldn't get her any further. I don't know if I couldn't get the technique or, you know, probably a combination of that and just being so exhausted that I just had nothing left to give. And I said to the midwife, I need some help, please. Can I just have a bit of help? And obviously, by this point, she'd already been and had a conversation with the doctor about intervention and how they could help me deliver Ruby. So she came in and said, right, we're going to do a one delivery, which is the suction thing. 
on the baby's head. And I remember thinking, because I'd learned in the hypnobirthing videos, that like I'd have to go to the operating theatre and it would be like loads of bright lights and there'd be loads of people in the room and it would be really awful. And, you know, it was a really negative thing. But I went into this room, pop on the beds, populating the syrups, and literally my legs were the most open they've ever been ever, like knees by my ears, <laughs> just like out, this bright light shining directly onto my vagina. And then this little doctor come. I remember thinking at this point, I really hope it's not going to be a fit doctor. Please don't be a fit doctor. <laughs> and this little group member walks in and he's like, hi. And I'm like, hello. And during the labour, like the dilation phase, I had this flannel and I was just going to rob flannel me, flannel me with this cold flannel. And at this point, leg and stirrups, I had the flannel over my eyes. And actually, I was just really relaxed because... I knew that, like, I was getting help. I don't remember feeling scared or anxious or anything like that. I just wanted the help to get Ruby out. So I was there on the stirrups, legs open, little Greek doctor, brightest light of all time, flung over my face. They put a cannula in, but failed. It was a failed attempt. And they got Rob to hold it. And then all of a sudden I hear the midwives and doctors going, Daddy, you okay? Do you need to sit down? And Rob nearly passed out. I can't believe that. <laughs> I know, he's like proper nails and fancies himself as being, yeah, a big man. And he nearly passed out and he was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. He said it's because he looked at the business end, but, you know, who knows. Right, he's seen that many times, come on. <laughs> yeah, not with a child's head coming out of it. I mean, yeah, Steve won't talk about it with me. He took one look and he won't He won't actually talk about it anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, come on, get a grip. So yeah, Rob nearly passed out. And I was just relaxed in the spirits with the flannel eye mask. And I remember them sort of bringing people in the room and saying, and this is the baby doctor. And I was cracking jokes being like, no, it's not the baby daddy. <laughs> like completely off my head. I did and gas in there and just really exhausted. And somebody knocked on the door and I just went, tell him to F off. So, I mean, I was on good form. So yeah, anyway, lay there with the spirits, the baby doctor, put the Von in Ruby's head. And I had to like push as he was pulling, but I couldn't really feel when the contractions were at this point. So I had to get Rob to tell me like when he could see my stomach sort of contracting. And at one point the Von Tuse like popped off Ruby's head and the doctor went flying across the room. <laughs> but anyway, a few minutes later, I don't know how long it was, ta-da, this baby was born and they just plonked Ruby straight on my chest because that's what I wanted. I remember just feeling this big heavy lump and she was screaming like this ear-piercing, blood-curdling scream like nothing we'd heard before. And I was just like, oh my God, I've got a baby. And she's screaming, what the hell do I do with this? And I was just sort of just being like, there, 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 tears, both Rob and I in tears crying. And I was like, way baby girl, she's bright red. They put a little yellow knitted hat on her. And that was it. And then the Shmi was born. Oh, amazing. Yeah. You had quite a hard road getting there, you know, with having a miscarriage and then going through all of that during COVID and then a really long labour as well. So you can imagine that's really, really... Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty hardcore. I remember feeling quite traumatised after. They just sort of then just left Robin and I, oh, they delivered the placenta and I had like a tiny little... Did you look at it? I did look at it. Yeah, it's mad. No, it's huge, isn't it? I can't say I thought, oh, that looks like a tasty meal. I'll eat it. I just looked at it and thought, wow, that's quite impressive. 
I think they asked me if I wanted to see it. And I said, yes, obviously. But I had like a tiny little labial graze, no perennial tearing, nothing like that. Just a teeny tiny graze. So the little doctor sewed me up and I made a joke about, am I going to have to go and sit on some frozen peas, which is slightly lost in translations. I had to say it a couple of times. Because <laughs> <laughs> that makes the joke funnier, yeah. He's <laughs> like, what? You know, frozen peas? He's like, oh, okay, yeah. So anyway, he was really chuffed at his like, sewing handiwork and got the midwife to come and have a look. And was like, hey, look at this. He's like, okay, cool, great. And yeah, then we were just left alone in this room for... It must have been a few hours, given some tea and toast and got to enjoy our baby for a bit. And then they sent me back to the labour ward thing. I had the best jacket potato I've ever eaten in my life. And then they sent me home 12 hours later and that was it. Oh, fantastic. That's the result, isn't it? Especially jacket potato, what you need. So you obviously wanted to exclusively breastfeed. So what happened with feeding after Ruby had been born? Did she breast crawl? I don't think so. I think that's a load of rubbish, that. She did latch on. No, it's not. Really quickly. Okay. But she latched on really quickly, and I was really pleased about that. And I remember just asking every single healthcare professional on the premises to come and check the latch, see how it's going, because I really, really wanted to breastfeed and I wanted it to go well. And I thought I'll make use of the people around me and get everybody to check. So everybody was like, yeah, yeah, great. She's acting really well, really good, blah, 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 blah. Got sent home. Then on day five, the midwife came to check Ruby, weighed her, and the look of panic on her face because she had lost, I think it was like over 13% of her body weight and anything over 10% of their body weight loss. It's normal for babies to lose birth weight, but anything over 10%, they kind of freak out and this was 13%. So at that point, it was like, you need to top the baby up with formula, you need to get weight on her, otherwise you're going to have to go back into hospital. And this was my midwife who I'd seen throughout my pregnancy and I had a relationship with. Mm. But I felt so traumatised from the birth, even though it really wasn't as traumatic as it could have been. But I was just really didn't want to go back into hospital and it just sent me on like a massive spiral. And I just got obsessed with like watching breastfeeding videos and getting the perfect latch and like drove myself mad over it. And it just spiralled into this huge ball of anxiety and I was dreading every single feed and midwives were coming to my house every single day to weigh Ruby and check up on us and see how we were going and then this one midwife came around and said look at you you're an anxious mess like your shoulders are up there just relax you know like you're doing an amazing job just relax and really sort of made me feel spent a lot of time with me like helping me latch in the different positions and just encouraging me in a really lovely supportive way but she said to me right you need to feed on each breast for 15 minutes and then you need to pump 15 minutes after that every two three hours throughout the day and night and it was the most hardcore hardest thing I've ever done in my life ever. Did anyone tell you about what to look for in terms of making sure you could tell whether Ruby was transferring milk. So the signs to look for. Did anyone talk through that? Yeah, sort of the half cheeks, the boobs slightly moving. And, you know, there was some good feeds, but something, there was a question over some tongue tie, actually. One midwife, the midwife who was really lovely, helped me loads, came and said, yeah, I think she's got posterior tongue tie. You could go and get it looked at. Because it was COVID, we'd have to go to see a private doctor and pay for the privilege. But I just sort of kept at it and like persisted with it. It was actually some of the darkest, hardest moments of my life 
like in the middle of the night, sitting in Ruby's nursery while Rob was talking about a formula with a breast pump, like, eh, 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 eh. It was really awful. Like, I found it really, really hard. And I felt like a failure. I felt like I can't even breastfeed my child. And that's like the one thing that I really wanted to do. And that's totally instinctual. And, you know, it's really natural and I can't do it. And I felt awful. I also had this feeling like I couldn't even push out my baby. And like before Ruby was born, because I've always wanted to be a mum, I thought, oh yeah, I got a bit cocky. I'm not going to read any books or anything. You know, it's going to be totally intuitive. All my intuition is going to take over and I'm going to know what to do. And I felt like I didn't know what to do. I couldn't read a hunger cues. I was just driving myself mad about everything and like totally second guessing myself and really giving myself a hard time. And, And all of that contributed to, I think, the milk issue and just general what turned into postnatal anxiety but gradually like the good feeds started to take over the bad feeds and Ruby started gaining weight and we sort of phased out the formula but then as a result I was just quite obsessed with the breastfeeding so much so that I've only just stopped feeding Ruby now when she was 19 months which is amazing amazing yeah yeah really incredible Mm-hmm. What do you think in that situation that's not ideal at all? There's a few things that just like really get my goat about feeding support. One of them is offering a new mother who wants to exclusively breastfeed formula because it totally undermines your confidence. It just says, oh, this will fix it. What they should be doing is giving you proper support. But what do you think was missing in terms of the support that you got? Part of me thinks that because it was COVID times and lockdown that I couldn't get the support that I needed I mean I did get um, referred to like a breastfeeding expert and but it was all on zoom and like you know trying to breastfeed a baby for them to see it's mm-hmm. not the same as seeing somebody in person and obviously the day that I did the zoom with this woman Ruby did like the best latch that she's ever done and she was like you look like you're doing an amazing job it's really good I remember calling a breastfeeding helpline and just crying on the phone to them for 40 minutes you know just telling them everything I just got so inside my head and so obsessed with it all because I felt I didn't really feel pressure from anyone it's just something that I really wanted to do and I remember like Rob and Rob's mum being like you know if it's not working there's no harm in just like giving a formula you know if it's going to make your life easy do it and there are multiple times where Rob was like you know maybe we should just do it and I was just like no I remember one day coming down and like Rob was just giving I was so exhausted because you know, you have a new baby, you are exhausted. All the sleep that you lose during labour, you never get that back. So I remember coming down one morning because Rob sort of just said, I'll have Ruby, you go and get some rest, relax. And he was giving her formula. This is before they told us to top her up. And I lost the plot. I was like, what are you doing? I don't want to give a formula. Like, I want to breastfeed. And I was really upset about it. Like, really, really upset. But obviously, I guess that's what she needed. And he just wanted me to have a rest. And he just wanted to, you know help and he's there's a real miscommunication with formula and when you have a baby what happens is when the placenta comes out that triggers full milk production it basically gives your breasts a, the the cue that milk is needed and essentially what happens is there's receptor sites in your breasts and your baby attaching and feeding switches on the receptor sites and it basically 
says, right, this is what the baby needs. It needs milk. If you don't feed and you switch, the, the, the receptor sites essentially don't get switched on, then that affects your ability to feed long term. And that's what impacts low supply. That's what people, that's why women have low supplies because they haven't fed initially at birth. So if you look at formula, someone coming along and just saying, let's introduce formula, you immediately undermine A, the woman's confidence, B, you undermine her body's ability and C, you actually impact her ability to breastfeed long term. So it's a really, really dangerous slippery slope because if you want to exclusively breastfeed, then you should be given proper support to. It shouldn't just be that the go-to is formula. And do you know what? Formula has the nutrition that a baby needs, but it's not the same as breast milk. And really women just need more support. And do you know there's trauma associated with breastfeeding? It's really common with them not being able to breastfeed. Um, there is actual trauma associated with not being able to breastfeed because you feel like a failure. You feel like, you know, the first test and you've not done it. And it's just shocking because women aren't getting enough support when actually the signs to look for in terms of effective feeding are quite simple. Getting a latch is quite simple and breastfeeding is actually quite simple if you're given the right tools to be able to do it. But bringing in formula essentially just undermines everything straight away. Well, what's the answer? I know you say support, but if you've got like a really starving baby and I guess from like a medical professional's point of view, they're just going to panic mode. They're like, we've got a baby that's lost so much weight. We need to get weight on it. You know, like yeah, that is the go-to, isn't it? Yeah, well, they intervene. But the answer is exactly what that midwife did for you in helping you to relax and to let go because that is what helped you, right? When you've got people pressuring you, she still told me to put a formula. Mm. You know, she was still like, you need to give a formula, but it's only temporary, you know. We can phase it out. It's only temporary. Because she knew that I wanted to exclusively breastfeed. Yeah. But yeah, she was like, just keep doing what you're doing and pump as well to obviously like try and get the supply going. And yeah, just give a formula and then, you know, it's not forever we can reduce it. We'll just see how we go. And then she like went out of her way to come and sort of see me regular. And then Ruby put weight on and she was like, you're doing an amazing job. You've done so well. Let me give you a big hug. And, you know, she was in my house with a mask on. I couldn't even see her face. Like, it was just mm. the weirdest. And it was like, oh, I shouldn't hug you, but I'm going to hug you because, you know, it was very yeah. strange. And then that was it then. And then we were on our breastfeeding journey and it was really tough. There were multiple times during the 19 months where, Ruby was just a general nightmare with it. I, I can't remember how old she was, but they sort of go through this distraction phase where they're more interested in looking at a poster on a wall or interested in, you know, seeing something for the first time and just aren't interested. Ruby went through a phase where she would only breastfeed if I stood up and rocked her around. That was fun. Mm. Oh God. That must have been so difficult because I just hear that kind of like the isolation situation with COVID, you know, not being able to hug someone plus the complete exhaustion and like lack of sleep is used in torture exactly you know it's so difficult for a human being to survive and get keep going through it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one thing about the whole breastfeeding journey was it actually reminded me that I am a hard worker and I have got like I can do it you know I've got determination which is something resilience yeah, yeah which is something I kind of didn't think about or forgot about because I can be quite lazy sometimes but you know pushing through all of that really proved to me that yeah if I really want something I can make it happen and you know mm. like I said a minute ago 19 months later and I'm still breastfeeding Ruby I don't know if part of that was because 
I felt like I wanted to cling on to it because I had such a rough time in the beginning. Or, I don't know, there was no, you know, at first I thought, right, I'll just breastfeed for six weeks because that's how long it takes to establish a supply. Put six weeks, I thought, I'll just do it for 12 weeks. I'll just do it for six months. And then, yeah, it just went on from there. Yeah. Why did you persevere with it? Obviously, some women really want to breastfeed and they find it really easy. Some women don't want to breastfeed and they go straight to formula. If it was so challenging, what made you want to carry on for so long? I just always had in my head that I wanted to like breastfeed my baby because to give her the best possible start in life. It's meals and wheels, isn't it? It's so like practical and so easy. When you're doing formula, you have to sterilise bottles and buy the formula and it's so much faff. I don't know, I just really loved, I loved breastfeeding her by the end. Well, you know, as soon as things get easier, just that connection and that bond that I had and have now with Ruby is second to none. Yeah, I just always wanted to breastfeed and I knew that it was the best possible thing for her. And I don't know, because my mum breastfed me and actually Rob was formula fed. And I wonder if that was him potentially not really understanding. Lauren, you're an absolute boss. Thank you very much for today. Thank you for sharing your story and telling us about your experience. Before we finish, we just wanted to know what one piece of advice would you give to another pregnant woman who is coming up through the ranks? I would probably say the best thing you can do with your birthing plan and your labour is to just not have a plan. Go with the flow because nothing ever goes to plan. You never know what's going to happen. But more importantly, be as informed as you can. So do your research, know all the ins and outs of what can happen. Know that if you're going to end up with induction, you're probably going to end up with some intervention and assisted delivery. Know what of one is, know what all the drugs do. Just know as much as possible. And then when you're in the situation where you have to make a decision during your labour, it's going to be an informed decision and you know exactly what potential outcomes are going to be and you just know everything. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. We are currently looking for inspiring women to be on series two of the podcast. If you'd like to tell your story and help other women ahead of entering into motherhood, then email us at podcast at butterbean.uk. We would love to hear from you and hear your birth story.